Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Joe Rogan Experience. Today we have Gretchen Thornborg. I thought this was the Mr. Mitchell History Podcast. No. This is the Joe Rogan pod. But who is going to talk about Russia, Ukraine? Not that again. You know, it actually doesn't begin there. You know what we should really be talking about? DMT. Wait, what? No. Why would you say that? It actually all begins with Boris Yeltsin in the 90s. Oh yeah, I know nothing about that. We should stop this podcast and just listen to the Yeltsin one instead. Gentlemen. Cam. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to do what no one has done in the last year. Oh, what could it be? We're going to talk about Russia. Oh. I'm going to talk about Putin. I mean, you best believe we, we really need to have. Need yeah, to have. I don't think enough ink has been spilt on this topic. Um, <laughs> did, did you change your profile picture to have <laughs> the Ukrainian colours? Cam, okay, no, no, I didn't. I, you know, it's a real, a real blight on my legacy. That's for sure. <laughs> Just love imperialism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes me think of like you know, obviously like a, a terrible situation. But I, I think something I found very funny amongst it all was this sort of virtue signalling that kind of went on when it first broke out. I don't know if you remember, but a real highlight of mine was um, I remember reading a headline that said that the Woolworths had changed the spelling of their chick- <laughs> of their chicken Kievs. <laughs> to, um, <laughs> real to, solidarity. Yeah, I'm like, wow, they have like take that, Putin. There's, um, <laughs> there's yeah, hard to you know how to how do you govern in the face of such opposition? <laughs> like, like, yeah, did they reduce the prices as well, or? That's a good question. I, I actually increase don't know. the prices and give a donation. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. did um, they? If I, I oh, know, if I'm trying to corporately virtue signal, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, sure. yep, yeah, yeah, true. Are um, chicken Kiev's like an actual Ukraine delicacy? Well, no, I don't, like I don't. Think where do they? So. Oh, I know. I think, where do they come from? I think it's just the word Kiev sounds a bit like Kiev. Kiev. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there's anything any deeper than that. Maybe they, yeah. they didn't teach us that at university. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I cover that ground? <laughs> I wonder where the dish originates from and the name originates from. If it got yeah. changed, I suspect it might be. Is because Kiev, is that like kind of an English kind of spelling of Kiev? Yeah, exactly right. So, so K I E V is the anglicized version of K Y I V. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so there is like some sort of correlation. Yes. So I assume, I assume if Woolworths did it, I would really hope that it was Ukrainian in some sense and they haven't mm. just gone, hey, this sounds like a Ukrainian city. <laughs> Let's change it yeah. to be like the like the capital. I think yeah. my favorite one was during the Europa League last year mm-hmm. when Barcelona and Napoli walked out with a huge stop war sign <laughs> and all the players were like intermingled amongst each other to mm. signify neither Jew nor Gentile that we're <laughs> yeah. are all one. Yeah. I think Putin at that point is thinking, boys, it's off. Yeah. We've, and I remember all the commentators being like, wow, really, really powerful. <laughs> it's not even specific. It's just <laughs> generic. It's the most empty platitude. Got to do something. Yeah. I, I also- changed my, sorry, Ben. I changed no, my Facebook profile picture. Was there, was there a bombing at the Arc de Triomphe? There was the two, there was the 2015 or the Paris oh, the, bombings. like pray for Paris, Paris kind of thing. Yeah, pray for Paris. Yeah, yep. was that 
I don't know, it might have been at the Eiffel Tower or somewhere. It was just across Paris. No, yeah. it was actually because, yeah, you go on. I also remember posting about this. Yeah, and like you put like the oh, the flag, the French flag was like yeah. go over your profile picture. Yeah, yeah. And you would also like put a shot on Instagram, maybe like pray for Paris. Yeah. 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 I actually remember I, I sort of wanted to, to post something a little different. So I posted the clip of, there's a clip of, because uh, France, the national team was playing at the time. Yes. And you can hear yes, the Germany. bomb go off. Um, and so that was the clip I posted because, you know, I'm a little bit sort of yeah, different yeah, and looking yeah. at things from a different angle. <laughs> <laughs> a guy who I was friends with at the time did one of every country that had been a victim of terrorism. So you had like the yeah. Lebanese flag, you had yeah, the Palestinian yeah. flag, you wow. had the French flag. Yeah. You know, wow. That, that's, so he's clearly photoshopped it himself. <laughs> and I like, respect. Like that's actually yeah, that is, um, thoughtful virtue signaling. <laughs> don't play by the rules. Yeah. <laughs> one, um, one more I did remember as well regarding Ukraine. Remember we saw the, um, there was, you actually commented in, in one of our groups, you saw some sky riding, didn't you, as you were playing soccer, I think. That is correct. And then- our friend Ben, his his comment still sticks with me to the day. Uh, I, I brought it up. He's, but yeah, you said you're you're playing under this kind of this pray for Ukraine, kind of take that Putin sort of thing. In and blue ben, and yellow, not to mention. Yes, true. Yes, because we play for a, a club that plays in blue and yellow. And and Ben's <laughs> response to this would about Putin because you're like Putin would be so mad. He's like he would be so miffed. He'd still go, he'd still go about his to do list, but struggle to focus and be distant and irritable with people because of it. <laughs> I, I do have one more as well. As I was driving home over the Tom Uglies Bridge, you can see all the houses in Sylvania, and like the, mm. the, for those who don't know, Sydney, Sylvania is the richest suburb in the Sutherland Shire, at least. Mm. And you get really? some really nice waterfront. Probably yeah. Sylvania Waters. Yeah, yeah. Sylvania Waters. No yeah, or Kangaroo Point Made it on, onto Lux listings, Sydney, even. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Go us. But as I'm driving over, I see the Ukrainian flag. It's, up, it's upside down. Oh, disaster. Uh, <laughs> the Ukrainian flag upside down. As in, like, it's on a mast? Yeah. Like, and, wow. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Not good. By the way, speaking- Maybe we can- Oh, yeah. PY's yeah. showing us. I know it's purely auditory- Medium here. PY has just shown his French national flag Facebook photo. We can put it on the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> so you can sign. And speaking of the Patreon, eleven. So it's eleven twelve right now on Saturday, the eleventh of March at eleven ten. Shout out to Richard Rank because he just pledged three dollars to our Patreon two minutes ago. Oh, wow. and we just got. I just got a notification. Thank you, Richard. So we love you, Dick. And you can sign up for our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, you've got to go by Dicko. If, <laughs> if I'm rich, I'm going by Dicko. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, Richard, let us know if, if you do yeah. prefer that name or if actually yeah. you'd like to distance yourself from that. I think I'm happy just to leave it at Richard right now, just to be safe. Um, but, What's um, Dicko up to at the moment? Australian last last I saw him, he was at the uh, AFC Champions League final between Western oh, City yeah. Wanderers yeah. and Al Halal. Mm. We might get to start yeah. <laughs> content. Yeah, yeah. A lot of diversions I'm looking there. at the time and I've got 9, 10 on the time. Right oh, now. That's okay. There's not that much to cover here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's just two decades across two episodes. What we're doing is episode, we're two-part series. First episode, we're looking at Boris Yeltsin and the rise of the Russian Federation after the fall of the Soviet Union. And then the second episode, we're going to look at the rise of Putin and how Putin basically made himself the dictator of Russia. Now- I don't want to labor the fall of the Soviet Union because it's basically just like every year 11 modern history class ever. So I don't want to labor the point too much. Did you guys look at Soviet history at all when you were in high school? I think I did up until like we did the Cold War, but I actually don't think we went a whole lot further, you know, sort of once that sort of Hmm. petered out. I don't know about you, Jake, whether you- Did it have something to do with the, did it have something to do with the Berlin Wall? Yeah, that's kind of like a symbol of the yeah, fall of communism. The fall of, okay. So, yeah, so we would have looked at that. Yeah. Mm. So the, these might be some terms you might remember. Do you remember the term perestroika? Glasnost? <laughs> no, glasnost berejiklian? Or- <laughs> <laughs> so basically in the 1980s, Mikhail Gorbachev is leading the Soviet Union. And under Mikhail Gorbachev, he's seen as a reformer and he introduced some reform. So glasnost is increased openness. So there's now freedom to criticize the government. Perestroika is having some market reforms to have a slightly more privatized economy that's more capitalistic. There's also other issues as well that contribute to the fall of the Soviet Union. The Politburo, which as we looked at the Chinese Communist Party Mm. episode, that's the inner circle of a communist government. They are now less ideologically pure because the revolution is nearly 100 years old at this point. And so there's not that fervent zeal 
amongst bringing about bringing the Marxist revolution that there was back at the beginning of the 1900s. And so there's a little bit more corruption going on there and it's quite visible corruption, Politburo members driving nice cars and a lot of the people start actually losing support for the Soviet Union and they start thinking, all these other countries seem to have it much better. Why are we still pursuing with this model? Other issues, this one goes unspoken about, was under first Jimmy Carter and then Ronald Reagan, America removed price controls on oil. What that meant was that places like Texas now had a bit of an oil boom. And in the 1980s, there was a huge oil glut, as we looked at with the Saddam Hussein episode. So there was heaps of oil. And that devastated the Soviet economy because they had huge oil reserves and that was one of their big exports. Mm. And so by the time we turn to the 1990s, the Soviet Union's in a real dire state. You also have nationalist movements starting to emerge. So we've got ones like Lithuania, Georgia, Estonia, Latvia, Ukraine, like you kind of just list the Baltic states there. And so basically what had happened was in, within Russia, there was a split between the conservative communists. And by conservative, I don't mean like Ben Shapiro conservative. <laughs> I mean, conser- conservative is like a term that's relative to whatever system you're in. So conservative in Russia means ardently communist, if that makes sense, because that was the existing system in mm. Russia. Yeah. Yep. So there's the conservative commies and then there's also the, the liberal Democrats. And there's kind of a split between both of those factions and that allows Boris Yeltsin to actually kind of rise within the Soviet Union at the back end of the Soviet era. BY. 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 <laughs> PY talking about BY. <laughs> so basically, Yeltsin was elected to be the head of the Supreme Soviet. Think of it as the Security Council in China. So when we looked at China, we looked at the MPC. Remember National People's Congress? <laughs> yeah, yep, It was elected yep. by the people. And the mm-hmm. NPC then appointed, appointed the Security Council to be kind of the next arm of government. The Supreme Soviet is basically the arm of government that is elected by Congress and Congress is elected by the people. In yep. Russia, they call it the Duma. And so <laughs> Yeltsin becomes the head of the Supreme Soviet. So, um, just, so Yeltsin, how's he got to this point? Are we going to touch on that? How, what's, how did he get to being elected? To the Supreme Soviet. Long story short, just rose within the party the right. same way. Just kind of like, like young commies sort of thing, Barclay McGain esque. Yeah, just kind of. Uh, I believe all, at least both. I think his grandfather on both his maternal and paternal side were killed by Stalin during the purges, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so yep. he's kind of got like. There's a lot of parallels with like Xi Jinping. Of Xi Jinping's dad was exiled by Mao Zedong during the Cultural Revolution. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of kind of parallels there. And so Yeltsin then kind of rises within the Communist Party and becomes quite influential. And so there's this unique balance. Yeltsin is head of the Supreme Soviet, but Gorbachev is still the leader of the Soviet Union. But everyone knows that the Soviet Union is coming to an end. So in August of 1991, there was an attempted coup and Gorbachev was captured and taken to Crimea. We love coups in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Big fans, big fans. So Yeltsin, he's kind of got two options here because he's head of Supreme Soviet, Gorbachev's head of the USSR. He could go along with the coup and actually remove one of his enemies. But what he does is the exact opposite. He opposes the coup and there's this iconic image of Yeltsin coming out on a tank. And like that's probably the most iconic image surrounding Boris Yeltsin and basically declaring that the coup's over and the coup failed, which it did. Now, what that does Mm. is that basically... It keeps the Soviet Union alive for a couple of months. It's pretty much the symbol that it's falling. And that's kind of the iconic image, apart from the lowering of the Soviet Union flag. That's the iconic image which which people think about with the fall of the Soviet Union. But it does technically keep it alive, but it really concentrates power into Yeltsin's hands rather than Gorbachev. And Gorbachev knows that he's pretty much done at this point. And so on the 17th of December, Gorbachev met with Yeltsin and there was an agreement to dissolve the USSR. And they were to become the Russian Federation. So, 1992, we have our new Russian Federation. Yeah. Now, there's an issue. Yeltsin has basically, he's trying to create a liberalized economy that looks something more similar to America mm-hmm. rather than a communist economy that looked like the Soviet Union. And so he's basically got all these publicly owned companies that are run by the government and owned by the government. And he's got to then try to tr- transfer power into private hands and into the hands of individuals. And so, again, Soviet Union, private property is very limited. 
But now, if you're going to have a privatized economy, who won't? Uh, bless you, Jake. Bless you, <laughs> bless you, Jake. My gosh. Look after yourself. I won't be the last. <laughs> but now, if you have a privatized economy, that means people need to own houses. People need to own companies. And everything goes from being owned by the government to being owned by individuals. So how do you decide who gets what? And this is the big issue that Russia is facing after the fall of the Soviet Union. How do you transfer control from government-owned companies and state-owned enterprises to privately-owned enterprises and privately-owned property? Seems difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. this. Are we going to talk about oligarchs? We are. Oh, wow. I'm excited. The oligarchs. And again, this. I'm glad you picked up on that because this is where the oligarchs get their power. Yeah. So Yeltsin... Basically, so Yeltsin is president and think of the Russian political system as being like the American political system, not like the Australian political system. So the head, the executive, so leader of the executive government in Australia is the prime minister and the prime minister is appointed by the party. So we do not directly vote for our executive head of government. We vote for, we vote for our legislature, so our parliament, and then the leading parliamentary party decides who the executive leader is. In America, the system's different. They have separate elections for Congress and for president. So they vote for their legislature, and then they also directly vote for their executive leader. And the executive leader has different powers to the legislature. So Biden is commander-in-chief of the American army, but he actually can't dictate a lot of laws surrounding healthcare and that sort of thing, because that's Congress's job. Now, Russia's system is like that. So Boris Yeltsin is the president, and so he's head of the executive arm of, of the Russian government but he's not head of Duma, which is their Congress, which is their parliament. And so that is in control of the prime minister, but the president can appoint the prime minister. So rather than the party choosing the leader, it's the president who chooses the leader of the Duma. Following me so far? I think so. So yeah. imagine, so let's just say, take America, for example. Imagine if Joe Biden got to choose who the leader of the house was. Yeah. That would be the equivalent of the Russian system. Okay. Now, he appoints a guy called Yegor Gaidar. He implements a policy that is pretty infamous in Russia now and is, is, is usually viewed with a lot of disdain. It's called shock therapy. Mm-hmm. Different to shop therapy. <laughs> <laughs> in theory, they're actually supposed to be pretty, pretty similar. So the, <laughs> I, I'll show you where I'm going with this. So the theory was, okay, we've had this publicly owned communist system now for nearly a century. We need, to, we need to transfer wealth into private hands and out of the government's hands. How do we do that? Just rip the bandaid off straight away and give everything we can into private hands. So, and we call it shock therapy. We'll take a hit and it will be really rough for a little while while we kind of negotiate that experience, but we rip the bandaid off 10 years time. We'll be comfortable. And that was the theory behind shock therapy. And so not too dissimilar to shop therapy, mm. uh, encouraging lots of private spending and lots of consumerism mm. to stimulate the economy. So, how do we go about shock therapy? So, Gaidar basically persuaded Yeltsin into removing price controls on 90% of Russian goods. Now, what Russia was doing is they basically, because they had a fairly insular economic system, they would have price controls on, say, oil. So that there's easy access of oil, and because Russia was abundant in oil, uh, the Soviet Union would say something effective, like, for argument's sake, I'm not sure if it was exactly this point, but this company needs oil, so we're going to charge, put a price control of $1, $1 a barrel or one yep. ruble a barrel, whatever it, whatever it was. Mm. And so these price controls actually allowed easy movement of goods across the country to serve each particular industry. And the theory was, because everything's owned by the government, or in theory, everything was supposed to be owned by the government, we can redirect resources where we need them to go to help each particular in- industry in whatever endeavor they need. So Yeltsin just goes, bang, all price controls are off. And so what could happen was everyone who had bought these really cheap barrels of oil can now go to the foreign market and sell it for ridiculous amounts mm. and make, make huge amounts of money. And so we see the basically this really big hyperinflation. Like price control, like prices have now become 30 times what they were. Buy low, sell high. Yeah. Simple as that. <laughs> exactly. And so if you're just your average Russian factory worker who was brought up under the promise of of the communist revolution means everyone gets what they want. Uh, oh, sorry, everyone gets what they need and all your essentials are cared for. Well, now all of a sudden the band has been ripped off on a, a low wage. Wages haven't gone up in accordance with these prices. What would cost you one times the amount now costs you 30 times the amount. Mm. 
Mm. And so you're priced out of essential goods straight away. It's really hard to understate just how devastating this was for the economy. Historians often say this, that it would be easier to try and survive in Great Depression 30 America than Russia in the 1990s. Wow. Life expectancy dropped to about 59. Goodness. My gosh. In the 1990s. Yeah, that's, that's wild. For what was previously the second biggest economy in the world. Like that is, <laughs> that is insane. From, yeah, fall grace. So it gets worse though, because again, this doesn't actually deal with the issue of who owns the companies. This has just gotten rid of price controls. So then we've got to deal with the issue surrounding the companies. Who owns these companies that were previously owned by the government? Mm. So what the government did is under Yale Guider, as part of shock therapy, every person who worked for their company was given a voucher of 10,000 rubles with the theory was they could buy equity in the company that they work for. Yeah. Buy, buy shares okay. in the company. Okay. Yep. That's the theory. But they're not actually tied to doing that they're just given that money with the hope that they do that or with the recommendation that they do that the vouchers were specifically for investment you couldn't bank yeah, you couldn't yeah. bank it you couldn't just go to the pub kind of thing and have a slap <laughs> on the pokies with you oh with the I, I'm, yeah actually i don't know if it could be spent for consumer goods yeah but the theory was that you invest in your like in a company and you get private equity and this is all supposed to stimulate the economy as well yeah because everyone's yep. kind of investing in this company these companies get income coming in and this gives them increased stimulation but what's happened is because of the removal of price controls, inflation has gone through the roof and these vouchers are worth basically nothing. Mm. They're worth around about 35 pounds. That's not much. Yeah, not a, not a big investment in, a, in the <laughs> stock market. <laughs> exactly. And so then you've got the issue. If you're just a Russian and you now can't afford food, you don't care about investing in your stock portfolio. Mm. Like your portfolio is not your priority right now. No. So what do you do with those vouchers? You buy food. Get some food, yeah. What if you can't exchange them for food? Yeah. Mm. You exchange them for something that you can get food for. There's a huge black market develops where people are buying up these vouchers at, at overpriced value yeah. because they can be used to invest in a company. They can't be used to, yeah, basically go to Woolies or whatever yeah. and get buy, a, buy a chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're able to kind of be able to move them around and give them to other people, sell them to other people. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And so a black then, market for these vouchers becomes really big and people buy them at slightly over market value to acquire a lot. Now, the plant owners, they were the ones that had the most amount of capital and they were in the best position to do this. So what they would do is like, okay, you can't use this really and you don't really care about your 35 pounds or 10,000 rubles in your company. We'll buy all these off of you. You can use that to then buy food. But because they've acquired so many of these, these plant owners can now just buy out the company entirely. And so the theory mm. was that everyone would have some equity in the company. And if you're leaving a communist system, everyone should be starting on the same foot, like on the same footing. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not because these oligarchs, well, they're not oligarchs yet, but they're on their path to becoming oligarchs. They sweep up all these vouchers and they buy pretty much entire ownership of these big companies. Mm. Not good. Mm. Is that how, um, is that how Roman Abramovich did it? We'll come on to Abramovich just a second. Okay. Because. Sorry, jump the gun. That's how, that's how the oligarchs got started. The next phase was when the oligarchs were really given an upper hand. So we'll use Abramovich as an example. So for those who don't know, Roman Abramovich used to own Chelsea Football Club mm -hmm. up until when the war broke out yep. with Ukraine, and then he was sort of he was sort of forced out of it, wasn't he, by yeah. the by the British government? He was yeah. into, he was Quite privately few, sanctioned. Yeah. Wow. Quite um, a few Russian oligarchs have their their hands in in sport. Mm. I believe. Is there another one in English um, football? In football, I know there was um, in Formula One. Mazepin, his dad basically like sponsored the the Formula One car and in return his son got to be the driver. And Mazepin's a and like an oligarch as well. Like a big yeah, his Russian. dad his dad was. Yeah. Yep. But similarly, when the war broke out, they pulled the sponsorship and his wow. and his son wasn't a very good driver. So <laughs> he got <laughs> he got the flick. Yeah. And so basically what happened is because you need to transfer control of his companies over and his massive companies, by around the time we get to the mid nineties People have enough capital and enough money that they can actually start to buy out these companies. And so the government temporarily retained control of some industries. So we take a company like Gazprom, for example. The sponsor of Zenit St. Petersburg. Yeah, might I knew they it. were on a, the front of shirt yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge gas company in Russia. 
And so you get to the mid-1990s and the Russian government under Yeltsin starts auctioning off these companies. And it's like, okay, we're going to have a public auction. Highest bidder gets control of, gets majority shares in this company. And basically what would happen is, again, the Russian politicians aren't particularly wealthy because they're on public wages in a communist system. It was supposed to be the same as the, as, or every other sector. Mm. And so basically what happens is now that these plant owners have got pretty decent money because they've, they've bought complete ownership of the plant, kind of preying off the fact that workers just need basic food. They go to these auctions. If you want to win the auction and you know that the Russian politicians aren't super wealthy, what's the easiest way to win the auction? Well, you just outbid them, don't you? That seems the most straightforward. What if you want to buy it at an even lower rate than what you should? And you know the auctioneer. Oh, you just just a little little brown paper bag? Yeah, slip them a brown paper bag. Oh, yeah. And corruption was rampant. Yeah. Abramovich has admitted to bribing the government to get his uh, to get majority shares in a lot of the companies that he became mm. the, <laughs> the the leader of. And so the oligarchs basically, and it, there's like a very select few, we're talking about roughly a hundred or so, they start buying up all these companies and wealth is basically concentrated into such few pair of hands. And again, Russian life expectancy is at 59 and people can't afford food, mass poverty, mass starvation. Again, a lot of people talk about the starvation that happened in the, in, in the Soviet era, way worse in the 1990s when they were doing shock therapy. And so basically living standards have completely declined and the oligarchs are making bank. Mm-hmm. And they become super powerful and they become super wealthy. So a 1994 report that Yeltsin himself uh, ordered found that criminal mafias had control of 70 to 80% of business. So criminal, oh, wow. like, criminal mafias mm-hmm. being those that bribe. Yeah, yeah. 70 to 80% of business was acquired through corruption. Mm. And that's a report that Yeltsin himself commissioned. And yep. he's, his incentive would be to play this down because mm. he's got an election around the corner. And the Bratva. What? That's the name for the Russian mafia. Ah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you came out with such, with such gusto and such surety. He's a... Sign up to the Patreon. Oh, okay. we're, we are very sure of our facts that we are presenting to the audience. <laughs> the um, name of the Russian mafia in the TV show was Bratva. Bratva. And so the other big issue as well is that if you're basically kind of a super rich criminal, particularly in the financial sector, what do you do with your banking? Like, you'd do something else a bit criminal, wouldn't you? You'd, uh, what do you do? You send it offshore? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you look for a country that... Has really cheap off tax to, rates. Off to Monaco or Liechtenstein or something. Yeah, Switzerland for these for these ones. Yeah. So they go to the these Swiss bank accounts. So it's a real disaster, right? Think about this. So you have basically businesses being bought at extremely undervalued. So these mm. these businesses are theoretically worth billions of US dollars. Yeah. But they're being bought for roughly like sixty percent of their price. So that's forty percent of economic of its economic value just wiped off. Yeah, And so that's a huge economic loss for the people of Russia that really now have had the wealth concentrated into these oligarchs' hands to something with a degree of like 40% in one hit. Mm-hmm. Now, to make matters worse, it's not as though the money in the bank accounts of these Russians is stimulating the Russian economy. It's not going into Russian bank accounts that can then be loaned back to Russians in terms of like enterprise and business yeah that no, money's now no tax as well there are they being taxed lower by going to switzerland too well, exactly right the money's now in swiss bank accounts yeah so the money's leaving the country mm. so russia in the 1990s is being gutted by these oligarchs yeah and so shock there it's a disaster like, that's so crazy that like like what you say a hundred or so people have just like just siphoned like tens hundreds of billions of dollars yes out of a country yeah exactly like in the space of what like a couple of years and yeah, oh yeah, all within the 1990s. Yeah. And so what was supposed to be the workers' paradise and what was one of the most equitable countries, though it had all its other issues, the equitable distribution of money was not one of them. It was low, but it was even, mm. has now become- <laughs> My gosh. The, like, mm. like Bernie Sanders would have a field day campaigning in Russia in the 1990s on the, on the 1%. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> except it would be the 0.00001%. Yeah. And that would have caused quite- amount of unrest i'm sure yes as well. and so exactly right given their kind of i mean their 
the way they would be would have been brought up as well, yeah. logically. And so in the 1990s, you get nostalgia for the Soviet Union. Mm. And this is what, no, like, very few people talk about this. It's mm. like, I'm not making the argument that the Soviet Union was a force for good. Like, they, they clearly had all these issues that contributed to their collapse. But no, And it's a very simplistic argument to be communism bad, capitalism good. Yeah, and- it sounds a bit like the Saddam Hussein thing we talked about before as well, when there was kind of a nostalgia for the way things were there. Yeah. Even though history or the way history is written might might view it differently it's yeah exactly and so going into the 1996 election the president it really looks like yeltsin's gonna lose so he sacked yegor gaida as the prime minister because shock therapy hasn't worked and in 1996 the communist party that is still around as kind of a remnant of the soviet union are saying hey write us back in Mm. like (laughs) it was so much better when we were there Mm. versus where it is now Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Shrek, it was a national crisis. I would have been president if it wasn't for Russian meddling in 2016. Honestly, Hillary, you need to shut up about this and get out of my swamp. That can't be the only thing you want, Shrek. You're right, Hillary. The Mr. Mitchell History Podcast gets 70 ratings by the next one. Our listener chooses the intro. They fell just one rating short last week. Guys, okay, so I want to take you back to the year 2017. Oh, what, what, what a year. <laughs> you were, we're in year 11. Or Jake and I were. Cam's I it, was a real, it was a real blossoming year for our friendship, Cam, 2017. Yeah, I think that's when we actually started becoming friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what what events led to that, do you think? Uh, World Cup qualification. <laughs> of course. Yes. How, how could I um, forget? I thought you were just being, I thought you were trying to stimulate for the audience there. No, actually, <laughs> that's so poor for me. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. What a night. <laughs> what what two nights in against Honduras and, and Syria. Yeah. And the night we watched the documentary in between. Oh. Yeah. Just for shorthand for the audience, we refer- we became friends when we went to. Well, we we always knew each other. Yeah, so we all like, go to the we same church. Hung out 2016 still. Yeah, yeah, but, but things really kicked maybe off. Maybe more so. Yeah, yeah. When we went to watch the Socceroos beat Honduras. Anyway, the reason why I'm getting you back, bring back 2017. The news cycle was dominated by one particular issue all throughout 2017 in America and Trump. It was the Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. The, have you seen the Stan TV show, the, the Comey Rule? The what? The Comey Rule. I don't know. How, I've never known. Is it pronounced James Comey or James Comey? I've heard both pronounced. The former CIA director who Trump fired. No, not reading the bells? No, no, I haven't seen no, it. No, seen it. Look, I'm not the most sympathetic person to the Republican Party by any stretch of the imagination. It is total Democrat propaganda there. <laughs> You're like, you cuss to Trump and someone's like, sir, you do know this is corrupt, right? And he's like... I don't care. And you're like, oh, come on, <laughs> be more subtle, please, with your propaganda. Anyway, everyone goes on about the way that Russia allegedly meddled in the 2016 election in discrediting Hillary Clinton and electing Donald Trump. And that basically oh, yeah. Russian bots on Twitter were converting people to vote for Donald Trump. And it's like, this is a big issue against our democracy because foreign countries have interfered. Yeah. No one talks about the way America interfered in the 1996 presidential election mm. in Russia. And that was so much worse than what happened in 2016. So this is context before the 1996 election. So the Duma is the parliament or the Congress, and that has no bearing on the president. And the Duma fell into the hands of the Communist Party. So a guy called Gennady Juganov was the leader of the Communist Party, and his communists smashed Yeltsin supporters. So Yeltsin didn't have a political party. He didn't belong to a party, but he had his allies. 
And Yeltsin's allies were about 65, and the Communist Party had about 156 seats in the Duma. Usually, this is kind of an indicator of what's to come. Same thing in America. You look at the midterms as an indicator for what's going to happen. Mm. So in 2018, the Democrats won the House. So people were saying Biden got a shot in 2020. Sure enough, he wins 2020. And so the fact that the Communist Party swept up in the Duma was an indicator of what could happen at the presidential election. And Yeltsin was panicking. But more importantly, America was panicking. They don't want the Communist Party back. The Soviet mm. Union is their big triumph in foreign policy. They've beaten the long-term enemy of the Cold War and they don't want the Communist Party to return. But Russia is getting nostalgic for the USSR. So what does America do? Have you heard of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund? Yes. Yes, I have. Think of it as like being the world's bank. So, But different from... The World Bank. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Basically responsible for giving money to other countries to stimulate their economy when they need it. Yeah. It's used as a political tool all the time, though. Mm. And so what America does is the real leaders of the IMF, they get the IMF to give Russia a $10.2 billion US dollar loan right before the election. Mm. Pretty substantial. And so what Yeltsin does is Yeltsin can pay uh, overdue wages and overdue pensions that people weren't getting. Yeah. Now, that's coming in clutch, right? He's oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really starting to win some points back. Um, Russians, they didn't know how to political campaign. It's like watching like the history of advertising. You watch it back in the 1960s when advertising was like a new thing. Hmm. And it's all this thing about the product and yada, yada, yada. Watch it now. It's literally someone driving through the Macca's drive-thru and being like, mum, I'm pregnant. And then Maccus pops up, be like, being there for the big moments. Like... <laughs> 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 Yeah, great. <laughs> the, art, the art of advertising is clearly much better like because in a capitalist society, that's pretty much the mm. big determinant of your business's success is how you market. Mm. America have been doing this for 200 years. And so the Americans are much better at political campaigning and much better at running political campaigns than the Russians who never needed to use them because they were in a communist system where they had one party. Mm. So clearly, the Americans are going to be much better. So Yeltsin paid $250,000 a month to get four US advisors over to teach him on how to run a political campaign. A million and- all up. <laughs> Wait, what? No. It's, it wasn't 250000 per advisor. Was it not? It was, was- 250000 a month uh, collectively for the four for of them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Then we have the mathematician here to fact check. <laughs> I thought it, they were getting 250k each. A million for four months. Yes. Yes. So Thanks. what yeah, Yeltsin yeah. does. Yeah. Good save there. <laughs> Yeltsin, have you heard of a political move called wedging? <laughs> Sounds a bit like wedging. Well, <laughs> it's kind of supposed to be. So you kind of wedge someone. So whatever side they take, it's the wrong side. Yeah. So yep. Yep. rock in a hard place. Yes. Mm. So in Australia, our context is the Liberals doing this on asylum seekers with Labor, and that was political. Like Tony Abbott just destroyed the the Labor Party in 2013 on the asylum seeker issue because for Labor, their their voting base is going to be split between two. On the mm. one hand, you've got Labor's working voting base that are pretty heavily anti-immigration. So if Labor comes out and says, you know, we are going to stop the boats and we're going to be really hard on immigration, that will work with that that group, mm. but it won't work with, say, your Greens voters or your, your people who are likely to flip from Labor to Greens that are like, no, we really care about the humanity side of asylum seeking. Yeah. And if they go then the kind of sympathetic and the kind of compassionate side of things, that's going to alienate their working class that are worried about the effects of their wages if you get a huge influx of illegal migration genius move from tony abbott completely destroyed labor in 2013 if it wasn't for kevin rudd saving some of the seats labor would have been wiped off anyway we're talking about russia not australia the way that yeltsin wedges Juganov is basically he keeps bringing it back to stalin and he's like Juganov's like stalin and Juganov is stuck if mm. Juganov says no i'm not yeah he's gonna lose his communist supporter base that stalin still kind of revered Mm. by much of the supporter base. If he says, yeah, I am like Stalin, he's going to lose everyone else who views in Russia because Soviet Union went through de-Stalinization after Stalin died with Nikita Khrushchev and he's going to put all of them offside by likening himself to Stalin. Mm. Now, 
the Russian political elections, they work a little bit differently. There's kind of a round system and they keep going so they get a majority. So if no one gets a majority on the first round of elections, they go through to a grand final and then the highest two out of that first round basically participate in the election grand final, if that makes sense. Mm. So in 1996, there's a fair few uh, people running for president. The big two are Yeltsin and Jaganov. Mikhail Gorbachev throws his hat in the ring. Why not? The last dance comes back. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was more like Jordan at the Wizards than Jordan (laughs) at the Bulls. And Gorbachev gets less than 1% of the vote. But on the other hand, we have Yeltsin winning 35% on the first round and Jaganov getting 32%. Mm. So they're through to the grand final. Mm. Round two. Everyone votes. If you voted, really, the vote then goes to those who didn't vote for either of them the first time around. For sure, for sure. Yeltsin pulls through with a 54% win. And he wow. comes, it comes in clutch. That is, he remains. That is clutch. Yes. And so he wins in 1996. That's, you know, throw some money at it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so seriously, like, like, we're talking about like a couple thousand Russian accounts on Twitter versus like 10.2 10 billion, billion. <laughs> yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, it's it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. Good news, though, because they've got the US's support, they actually recover pretty well in the late 90s. So inflation drops to less than 1%. And what Yeltsin does is Yeltsin now devalues the ruble to try and encourage foreign investment. So he's like, okay, inflation's now kind of fixed. So I'm happy for the value of the ruble to once again be worth not that much so that we get foreign companies investing in our country and we get all their money coming in. A new prime minister comes in. His name is Yevgeny Primakov, and he launches a crackdown on the oligarchs. And basically, he creates all these little rules to stop the siphoning of money out of the country, and he has all these little economic policies that disincentivize the oligarchs transferring their money out of Russia and into these Swiss bank accounts. He also pushes for much more tightly regulated auctions for the big state-owned enterprises. Mm-hmm. So Primakov seems to actually, whether it's him or whether it's just the natural consequence of all this foreign investment coming into the country, the economic situation is looking a lot better by the end of the 1990s. Yeltsin sacks Primakov, though. Oh. Yeah. Why has he done that? Well, what do you think? Was it personal? Was it something that he, <laughs> did he, he upset him? Yeah. <laughs> Say something mean. <laughs> well, Yeltsin, Yeltsin was quite a funny character to do our favorite and use the crown as a point of reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the Yeltsin episode on the crown? I mean, I've seen all of the crown, so I guess it's, I would have seen it. I think it's, I think it's season five. <laughs> okay. So the, the newer season yeah, where Queen Elizabeth's meeting with Boris Yeltsin in the 90s. Anyway, Yeltsin was quite partial to the drink. And there's oh, lots, yeah. There's lots of clips of Yeltsin speaking quite drunk, dancing while drunk. Mm. So he was quite a personal character, but he was, mm. Primakov wasn't sacked for personal reasons. So we think. It was a drunken decision. <laughs> it wasn't. A, well, maybe it was. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really know. Is, um, was Yeltsin, you know, was he a little bit sort of in bed with the, the oligarchs? Mm. Yeah. So we don't know, but the main theory is that Yeltsin and the oligarchs were in bed together and the oligarchs wanted Primakov gone because he was kind of ending the party. Yeah. And so that's that's the main theory. For whatever reason, Primakov is gone at the end of the 90s and Boris Yeltsin appoints a new prime minister. Any any guesses no, as to who that would be? It couldn't be, could it? Could it be? <laughs> Is this when Vlad enters the picture? Vlad Vlad is now in the picture. Wow. And he is now the new prime minister. So quick background on Putin. He was a security chief for the KGB. That was the Russian security agency. I believe Dorota from Gossip Girl wasn't cracked by the KGB. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) She got got out. (laughs) Is Dorota from Russia? uh, Yeah. So have you seen, have you seen, oh, some part of the Soviet Union at least, if not Russia. Have you seen the, um, oh, I, can't remember, I can't remember what it's in context to. Maybe it's about Blair Waldorf's pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. Where Dorota's yeah. like, like, KGB can't crack me. What makes like oh. what makes you think you can? That's such a niche callback. 
for the large crossover. Yeah. Yeah. We were <laughs> Cam watches from... Gossip Girl for the uh, the political <laughs> political references. She's from Poland. Ah, from oh. Poland. Oh yeah, actually. So anyway, I liked where this went <laughs> <laughs> for our large crossover of Gossip Girl and Russian economic policy. <laughs> so Putin is now in the picture, and this is where it gets really interesting. Boris Yeltsin, at the end of 1999, he resigns as president and he steps right. down. Because there, there is a two-term limit for oh. the president presidents. And he probably could have found a way to get around it if he really wanted to. At this point, he's only seven years away from death or eight years away from death. He, his alcoholism is not great. Mm. Physically, he's not in great shape. And probably in fairness to him, he was keen to see democratic reforms get into his country. And so Boris Yeltsin uh, steps down in 99 and he's like, my time's up. Very interestingly, when someone kind of does their final speech, like remember the like Obama out, like as he leaves the White House? No, I don't. Oh, what, is, what does he do? It's very, I, 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 it's all, that's the only line I remember. It's okay. quite cringeworthy. But basically when you have your farewell speech, you point towards your legacy and you're like, we've done this, we've done this, we've done yeah, this. Yeah, really Sort of write the narrative there. Exactly. Boris Yeltsin says sorry. Wow. Yeah. Like, and so Boris Yeltsin gets up and he's like, look, I did my best. I'm happy with the reforms we have, but I'm sorry for the destruction that shock therapy has caused. Real bold, like. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, fair exactly. A lot of, you, lot of humility. You yeah. don't see that from leaders very often, but also it just goes to show how indisputable it was that Yeltsin yeah. wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if sure. he's kind of saying, oh, look, guys, I did my best. Uh, yeah. It's it's pretty grim if he doesn't have too much to be able to hold his hat on. And so basically what happens is when there's a stipulation in the constitution that when a president resigns, the prime minister becomes the acting president and new elections are to be held within the next three months. So Putin becomes the new president. Now, what I didn't mention was back in 1996, there was something of an internal civil war. So there's a group called the Chechens. They're kind of just north of Georgia and they're a Muslim group, an Islamic group. Under Stalin, they were deported to Asia and then Khrushchev allowed them to return. What the Chechens do is in 1996, they push for, they have basically an insurrection movement and they push for independence. Yeltsin doesn't like this. Yeltsin sends 40,000 soldiers in. Uh, they fight across 1996 and eventually reach a ceasefire. So 95 to 96 is when what we call the first Chechen war. For whatever reason, you can run with an inside job theory here. The evidence is no stronger for that than the 9-11 inside job theory. Right before the elections, there are a whole bunch of Chechen terrorist attacks. Before, So right before the 2000 elections, there's a whole bunch of Chechen terrorist attacks while Putin's the leader. Mm. So Putin's the acting... Acting, acting president. president right now. And Putin promises that the Chechens will be punished. And this gets heaps of support across Russia. It's Putin's 9-11 moment where yep. George yep. Bush kind of skyrockets in popularity. Mm. In 2001, George Bush was probably the most popular president ever mm. at that exact time period. And so Putin skyrockets in popularity, but Putin doesn't want to leave anything to chance. He basically is like one area of governance that Yeltsin completely neglected was making allies in the Duma. He's like, he only had 65 of them. He tried to do everything by himself and not actually use the Duma as a, as a tool. And parliament didn't really do much of the reforms that Yeltsin wanted because he didn't, he was outnumbered by the communists. So what Putin did is he's like, we need to make allies with every single person who's not a communist. We need to try and create a coalition between all the non-communist groups. So on that, um, George Bush, I don't know, you guys, I probably told you guys this before, but after 9-11, he, f- he f- threw the first pitch at um, I have seen that clip, the Yankees, yeah. Yankees uh, Stadium, full house, and it's a hell of a throw. Just mm. like straight down the middle, not too fast, not too slow. Yeah. Just kind of like... Like the throw uh, that... I think it would have put a lot of safety in the um, Yeah, the, the, it was the throw that America needed, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. At the yeah. Time. yeah. That must be that text. Like anyone from Texas just seems to be a <laughs> <Yeah>. machine. That- <laughs> and like the, sport. Yeah, the pressure would have been. Yeah. Immense. Yeah. Like as you think about like, had there been, you know, 
Oh, if more, it didn't, more important, yeah. more bigger clutch moments than uh I mean, if it didn't hit the glove, is I think like questions are asked about his his leadership. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So what Putin does is Putin actually forms a unity block, and he just gets multiple non-communist parties together and says, "We're going to be allies, and together we're going to take down the communists at the election." So if you help me win the presidential election, I'll help you get done what you want to get done in the Duma, and we can have an alliance here. Because collectively, we outnumber the communists, but the communists are the largest bloc. So we need to work together to take them down. So he forms the unity bloc. And in 2000, when the presidential elections are held, Putin wins on the first round. Wow. Gets didn't, 50- even, didn't even need a grand final. Exactly. 53% gets it. Juganov gets 29.5%. So Putin beats Juganov probably due to the Chechen crisis, as well as the, the coalition he's formed. Mm-hmm. 2001, he does another merger. So the unity bloc merges with the Fatherland Russia Party to become the United Russia Party. (laughs) I've heard this one before. (laughs) (laughs) And in 2001, Putin is sitting pretty safely on the throne, but he's not a dictator yet. He's the president. He has power. He's got his guys, but he doesn't have dictatorial power by any means yet. And so next week, we're going to look at how Putin actually consolidates his power to become the dictator of Russia. Wow, what a what a cliffhanger to leave us on, Cam. I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah damn. I, I, I'm troubled by whether or not to have respect for his apology, but also <laughs> a lack of respect just because he kind of wasn't very good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I forget why. Why did he resign again? That was just the end of his two terms. Oh, it was the end. And okay. combination and like old age. So he died in 2007 and okay. he was having alcohol related issues yep. from well before then. How do you think he compares to the the, the Boris we have currently? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which Boris? Just Boris Johnson. Oh, well, <laughs> just name uh, another Boris, really. Uh, <laughs> vegan role. <laughs> oh, COVID party. <laughs> I think Johnson tackles better than Yeltsin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is, what's the... Is it Boris Johnson rap god? What is that? What's the video? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you know the one where he like raps really fast, but not intentionally. Yeah, like he just just sort of speaks really fast when he's talking in Parliament. (laughs) Uh, Look, he called an insult he gave someone as well. Yeah, he called him something like an invertebrate. Ah, I don't remember. Uh, Look, I'm glad that Johnson's gone. I'm not the most sympathetic Boris Johnson guy. I'm not huge on Rishi Sunak either, but I will miss him. Yeah. There's like, he's just something like, there's just something about yeah. Boris Johnson that makes you think, man, that guy would be a lot of fun to hang out with. <laughs> like, I can understand why he constantly broke his own COVID protocols. If you are the life of the party like that, mm. <laughs> it would be a crime not to be able to entertain people the way he would. Stay at home, protect the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, we'll see you next week. Till then. I'm Troy McClure, and you can get access to an entire other podcast over on Patreon for just $1.50 a month. Don't forget to leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. We'll be back next week for Vladimir Putin.